Hello, and welcome to Makers.dev episode number 37, the most underrated podcast in all of the bootstrapping technology space. Chris, how's it going? Uh, it is going pretty well. My kids are back in school, so that is nice. Uh, yeah, it's going pretty well. How's that with COVID and stuff? You thinking about that? Yes. So the district did not have a mask mandate uh, until they saw what the other districts around them did, which is like the, the other districts have already been in school for about two weeks. And mm -hmm. now like very large percentages of the school districts are quarantined. And so now starting today, there's a mask mandate. Um, it's, it's hopefully going okay. I mean, so far so good. Um, although we, we had buses last year uh, or two years ago, but one week before the uh, school district started this year, there was a email that went out that said, if you live within a mile, then you don't get a bus anymore. And cool. we live like 0.98 miles away or something. <laughs> so no more buses. That sucks. Um, That's right on the line. That's like the worst for yeah. you. It's exactly. So it's too far like for them to walk by themselves. So we're either biking or driving them. Um, and my wife was sort of like, she, she looked at the, it's not because there's not enough money. It's because uh, there's not enough bus drivers. And mm. so they're tr doing this big hiring spe spree. She looked at the requirements and it's not just driving the bus. You're also responsible like for its cleaning and its maintenance, which oh. seemed very odd. Um, like it was very strange because all the buses go to the same place at night. So like just hire mm. a couple mechanics and then you have maintenance taken care of. And then the bus drivers just have to drive. Uh, so maybe that's why <laughs> there's, they don't have many bus drivers. Cause you have to be mm. like, like, you don't have to do the maintenance, but you have to like take it for an oil change and do all this stuff. So, I don't know. Very strange. That's super strange. Also, it seems like an opportunity if you're a mechanic. How? What a weird way to set that up. I guess, I guess they're paying you more than they would if you were just driving the bus then. So, what if, what if a mechanic advertised to people who might want to drive a bus like your wife and the pitch was like, hey if you want to drive the bus but not worry about this other requirement i will do that maintenance side of it for you i wonder if that's do you know if that's a national thing or is that just something in your area that bus drivers also have to maintain the bus i i do know so like we're kind of in the city part of indiana but in the rural parts like near the in the farmland bus drivers are responsible like not only um for the bus and everything but they own the bus or they hmm. are they're responsible for like parking it and they own it so they're responsible for maintenance and so it might be like a holdover from that i don't know but our district has a bus parking lot and they own all the buses as far as i know so i don't know why i don't know why the bus driver has to do more than just drive the bus it's how strange. strange yeah huh <laughs> i'd love to more, know more the the history behind that because it, it would make sense that if you're a school in a more rural area and you need bus drivers the most straightforward way to do that is just like Ah, Farmer Joe has a truck that can hold kids in the back. Like, can we pay you for driving around and also rental of your bus? But it seems like that wouldn't make any sense in like at, as you scale up. Oh, you you sort of went backwards. Of it was more of an Uber bus thing. Oh, what if you had Uber for buses? Oh, so some but people it's constant demand. Like, I guess I guess that wouldn't make sense. So some, some parents were like, basically like, uh, how much, you know, how many people do we have to get together and how much would it cost for the, basically for someone who owns, you know, a large passenger van or something to come pick up our kids every day. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, get like I, one of the luxury Mercedes vans or something. 
<laughs> one of the party buses with like the stripper pole and the lights <laughs> you got you got five-year-olds in there with their little school bags <laughs> yeah so anyway we'll we'll see hopefully like they're trying to hire more bus drivers so hopefully we get a bus but um right now it's biking and and driving it ourselves so it's not that bad but it's annoying yeah i like biking and your kids aren't old enough to to go by themselves no i mean they probably would like they would make it you know 99 percent of the time but Mm. like one percent of the time you know they would i don't know it's 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 like a mile away and so it's a little far for our five-year-old right so gotcha what a weird situation i'm so curious if that's the same in uh in school districts by me uh another potential business opportunity for my brother-in-law mechanic if that's a he would love working on buses that would just that'd be so much fun i imagine their engines are just gigantic his grandfather drove a truck uh for most of his career and the way my brother-in-law patrick describes uh his grandfather describing working on the truck is just this delightful like all these little tiny pieces in your car where you got to like reach your hands around this thing and like you're working with your little tips of your fingers to do this thing everything in a truck is just massive so you can you can open it up and just stand in the engine bay and you're it's just yeah everything is everything is scaled up so much more and they sound like a a lot of fun to work on and also just engineered to run for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of miles so each piece is this big bulky version of whatever the, the same version would be in your car i think that'd be a lot of fun for him um oh we've buried the lead your uh ai competition on gps ended two two days after our last episode i think how did that go when that how'd that shake up yeah so uh we were in third and we ended up in fifth so we dropped two places uh yeah it's not that bad and it's still their gold medals are you know given to the top one percent so we still get a gold medal awesome. so that's good um we don't get any money top three places got money but mm. uh that's okay uh we uh, yeah we did so close well. to money i know right um that at least at least two of the the winners were gps kind of experts so Mm. that's to be expected right um and and one of them i don't feel that bad because the winner like beat us by a lot (laughs) like Mm. uh i don't you know he it was uh he ended up like a half a meter better than uh than we were um a half a meter yeah that's a lot uh because we were fighting for like centimeters at the end and so yeah uh that's remarkable so I'm happy with it. Was though. this the the guy who was in first place the entire time who had done academic research into yeah. GPS stuff? Yeah. Okay. That yep. Makes sense. It was that guy. Yep. Yeah. And he had a really, like... it was a really, yeah, he had a really, like most people post their solutions afterwards and he had a really nice solution. Like it was, it was kind of unique and it like deserved to be in first place. So I don't feel mm. bad about that. Oh, because I think you were saying that uh, the top three positions also had to do write-ups of what their solutions were. So could, what, knowing what you know now, could you have taken some of his tricks and, and improved your own solution what was he doing differently uh so the top two used things that i have never touched before so like optimization things that i haven't done before so mm. it's actually really interesting i haven't done this yet but i plan to go and kind of re-implement their solution just so i know what they did um because mm. yeah they were using things that no other team i think were using um and so yeah what sorts of optimization can you can you explain so, it in a way that i would understand yeah so um uh, so one of them uses it's basically a way a constraint kind of optimization so in normal neural networks you like basically or normal ml in general you like talk you, you submit your data and then get an answer out and then you um train your model so that it, it does better for that answer mm-hmm. with optimization generally um you are able to apply constraints 
in a way that you can't with neural networks. And the constraints that he applied were very specific to GPS and they ended up doing much better. And so I basically think I should get better at these optimization things that aren't, it's not ML based at all, actually. Um, it's just regular, op, you know, traditional optimization stuff um, that I don't have much experience in. So, yeah. Okay. But what I'm understanding is there's a way to tune your optimization that uh, limits the possible things that you can be tuning if you have a better understanding of what the domain is. So knowing what you know about GPS, you, you could sort of tell the, the machine learning algorithm to ignore tuning certain things and that would make optimization more efficient. Is that right? Uh, s sort of. So I think you're saying the right things, but have the wrong idea in your head, if that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so you can tune your optimization very specific to your problem domain, um, but it's not actually ML based, meaning you're not learning from the data. You're it's, it's just, it's like a regular algorithm. It's, it's like a traditional al algorithm yeah. um, that is designed specifically to optimize for this problem in this domain. Okay. I, I, I know that's been... confusing that, this is happening uh, during training or after training? What's dur during what's... training? Yeah, it's okay. partly confusing because I don't fully understand it myself, and so that's okay. why I'm having a hard time explaining it. But uh, yes, there, there's a whole like convex optimization and just regular optimization using mm -hmm. constraints. It's like a whole branch of um, like uh, study, and it's something I don't know very well. And it's something that he used. Also, someone used uh, uh, like graphs, so like um, you know CS graphs, not like plotting graphs. Mm -hmm. Uh, graphs to do it, which is very in, in, definitely an interesting way to do it. So mm -hmm. I wanted to look. I I never had like a class that went really deep into graph theory, and mm -hmm. um, this person was able to use them quite effectively, I guess. And so that's interesting too. So yeah, just a whole laundry list of things I want to look up afterwards. Exciting. I look forward to seeing the two minute Twitter videos of what you learned. <laughs> right. Describing <laughs> uh, this. What a what a great way to be investing your time. Of like, this was a problem that you were sitting in for several weeks and are able to see very clearly like you, you did incredibly well and you're able to see open solutions of exactly what other teams did that were better than your solution i i have trouble thinking of a more effective way to for you to be learning like i i almost love this like for school assignments i would love to see mm -hmm. that i would love to see like okay i got you know an a and let's see the papers that the A plus students wrote and, and what they did differently than me. Uh, that that seems like a stage of learning that is an opportunity that's not being taken advantage of right now in the traditional schooling system that you're getting. Uh, you're you're able to, you know, you're you're playing at a very high league and you're able to learn from the people who are just slightly above you. Uh, seems like it's it's maximizing the rate at which you, you can learn better techniques for doing this yeah it's definitely something i didn't necessarily i mean i knew i was going to learn things but uh, it's it's surprising how effective it is at teaching me things just by yeah me participating and then seeing what other people do um, yeah. yeah i'm really curious to hear what your experience is going the more traditional schooling route when do you start your uh master's program uh so that is in let me check 10 days yeah nine days 10 days exciting uh, not next episode, but the episode after that, we'll be able to, to talk about your experience on it. Um, yep. So uh, it seems like the, the stuff that you're doing in these competitions and the, the stuff that you're doing just playing around on your own with your new fancy GPU of like generating art that you post on Twitter, yep. uh, I would imagine you're learning much faster than you will be 
in the traditional curriculum. And there, there may be things that you get to mop up of like, oh, graph theory is a thing that I haven't studied. And now I'm in this class about graph theory and I have to buy this textbook for it and, and learn it more academically. Um, but it seems to me like the, 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 the most competent people in any domain seem to be just the people who love the thing that they're doing and in their spare time they get books about it and do competitions about it and just make stuff um so i'm curious what your experience is going to be sort of comparing your own self-learning track with uh the the academic route and we've talked about this before of like if it makes sense financially and i think absolutely this is like such a cheap way to get a structured curriculum and get a, a network of people together but i'm thinking of this in terms of like for people who want to learn a new domain, I get people asking me all the time, like, how would you recommend I learn to program? Uh, should I like take a bootcamping class or like get a CS degree or something? And consistently my recommendation is like, if this is the thing that you're interested in, pick projects and just try to figure out how to implement the project and learn whatever you need to along the way. And if you get to the point where you're like, oh man, I could be moving so much faster if I just filled in the, the lower level understanding of the theory behind this and uh, it'd be nice if all that information was consolidated in one place, which I think is sort of how you've described where you are with uh, AI and ML. Like, absolutely, okay. I think that's the that's the point that it makes sense to be paying for more traditional education. But if you're looking for traditional education to like pull you along, that it's not really a thing that you're passionate about, but you feel like, ah, oh, well, I need the CS degree so that I can get a good job, so that I can have a bunch of money, so that I can buy a Lamborghini. Like, <laughs> that's not as that's not as effective as just learning it on your own. Does that does that track? Does all that make sense? Yeah, I think that's pretty much exactly right. But basically, there's two real big pillars, which is apl the applied area versus the theory area. And so, mm -hmm. applied absolutely like projects uh, in in the ML space, like Kaggle, like doing the actual thing is the way that you learn it. So, like mm -hmm. if you're trying to learn development, like actually doing development um, is way better than going to school right for mm -hmm. CS or whatever the point where I'm at is I, I feel pretty confident with a lot of the applied things and I know how to get better. Like I do more cal competitions. I look at the solutions. I try to do them myself. Right. What I want to get better at now is and why I'm going back to school is I want to, so I know how to use the thing. I want to understand exactly like the theory behind the thing. And then I want to be able to make new advances in theory that makes, lets me make a new thing. And yep. so I'm hoping that the, that like, I can't think of a much better way to learn theory, which is often kind of, boring so I, I would i'll say like applied is often way more interesting than theory yeah. um so if you want to learn something that you find kind of boring uh paying someone to grade you on the thing i think is very like it's an effective <laughs> way to learn the thing so um so yeah absolutely if you just want to use it you don't need to go to school i think at all um but if you want to understand it so that you can make new things and then use mm -hmm. those new things i think that's where school can really help that makes a lot of sense yeah i'm not about to go learn graph theory just for fun <laughs> that's right <laughs> Like a, they, I guess I never took a class on that, but they touched on another thing in a in a data structure class I took in undergrad, and uh, it was interesting. I think there was a part of it that was like red black trees, where yeah, that's a thing that yeah, I had to I, color in trees. the graph. I think when it was filled out, and that that was fun, and that's I think the only memory I have of it. There were like traversals yeah. of algorithms of how you go in order and breadth to depth first, and the efficiency and the big O notation, and I I really don't feel like i've used any of it i guess it was it was academically interesting to know that like well no okay there's there's been apps i've made before where 
I guess just knowing that a graph database was a thing was very useful because the application was going to need to make queries that were in a graph format. Like when I did the, uh, the tree books app uh, of like restructuring a book as a, as a tree uh, to have a better ebook reader. Uh, I'm saying it in the past tense, but like I'm it's still a thing I'm working on. I think knowing basic things about graph databases helped with that. Okay. And I, th I guess I've just like internalized that. So it's, it's not interesting to me anymore that I know a little bit of, tree database stuff okay right yeah that's my hope that the school will going to school will let me internalize things that i can then ignore later but actually yeah. i have in the back of my head yeah. yeah yeah and then it just becomes obvious that makes sense neat uh i'd love to ask you about the images that you're generating on twitter you're making some beautiful art looks very cool what's what's the story behind that is this this is part of what you're doing with your new fancy gpu this is just you playing around right. right now, is that right? Yep. Yeah. So I'm using my new fancy GPU uh, to generate f silly images, um, which yeah, they, they at the same at at the same time they look uh, very very interesting and intriguing, and also like, but also derivative and uninteresting. Like there's mm. there's d certain failure modes that make these look very odd, but mm. then sometimes you get images that are just really intriguing. Um, mm. uh, the other thing I've been doing with it, so so the stuff I've done so far is basically what we were just talking about, the applied part, which is I took someone else's code and I changed it a little bit to do what I want. Mm -hmm. Now what I'm doing is applying some of the theory I know to that. And I'm actually gener I'm building a web app that lets me play with the kind of underlying algorithms more. Um, mm. And so this is the kind of thing that you only know about if you like actually understand what is going on with the algorithm. And then you mm. can do things like, uh, you know, pull out different parts of it at certain times and manipulate it in order to do certain things. Mm. Anyway, so I'm building a web app for that. Um, one thing that I kind of wanted to ask you about was, so I have this web app now, which will generate um, images for you. And I'm going to start adding a lot of different knobs and stuff to it. Um, but it is uh, basically, if I wanted to allow other people to use it, there's no way I could do it for free because mm. GPUs are expensive. And if I wanted to charge for it, I would be charging like way more than it is. Well, than I think it's worth or that anyone will pay um, because GPUs are expensive. Um, at the same time, I realize I bought a GPU like for this purpose. And so like yeah. there are people who might pay lots of money just to play with it. But so like, what do I do with this? Uh, I think one option is to like, just keep building this little web app for myself that allows me to sort of tap into the deeper, you know, parts of the algorithm. And so I can understand it a lot better. Mm -hmm. uh, one option, maybe to try to make it public so that some people can use it if they want to. One option, maybe to ignore it altogether once I get into school and realize I have a lot of work to do for school. Um, I don't, I don't know. What, what are your, what's your hot take on all that? I am so excited because I think <laughs> I have the perfect application of this. Okay. Right. Um, but first, how much does this cost you per image in time and money? So per images is, is interesting. There are services. I actually just saw several services launched like two, at least, um, who are charging for it, who are charging a dollar per image. Okay. Um, the problem is, so it costs, it costs about a dollar per hour if you are as as long as you're using it like that's my cost for a yeah. gpu to do it and it can take like it took me like a hundred or so images before i started getting like good results out of it so like mm. these places that are charging per image that doesn't make any sense because you don't want someone to spend a hundred dollars like they're going to give up after the second image mm. so yeah so about a dollar per hour for people using it a dollar per hour for people using it and that's my cost yeah what is 
what does the workflow look like right now? Like if, if I wanted to generate a new image and I wanted it to look good, is is the current workflow, I spend $100 to make 100 images and then pick one that looks good? So no, so for most people, they're using Google Colab, which is free. So there is a free way to do this. But the workflow, the current workflow that they're using is you type in a prompt. So like, you know, a cat riding a bicycle, right? <laughs> and uh, then you say generate. And it generates, it runs for a long time and then sort of spits out images as it goes. And then you're like, well, that isn't exactly what I want. So you start over and you say cat riding a bicycle, you know, in the style of Monet, right? And yeah. then you generate a bunch more cats riding bicycles. Um, the, what I'm trying to do is a little different. So I'm trying to do that. And then, you know, 10 iterations in, you can sort of pick the one you like the best and yeah. 10 more iterations, you can kind of pick the one you like the best. And then also there's like, there's lots of things that I'm trying to do that are better than just restarting every time. But yeah, so that's the current prompt is like, and for these ones that cost a dollar, it's like you type in something, it generates something. And if you don't like it, like, I don't know, I guess you spend a dollar on something you don't like. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what do you know about NFTs? Oh, yes. So, yes. <laughs> I, uh, there are several people doing this and, and creating NFTs out of them. Yeah. All right. What? I think that's I think that's what you do. Uh, okay. Something that blew my mind. So for uh, listeners who don't know, NFTs uh, stands for non fungible tokens. The idea is Bitcoin is one of its features is that it's fungible. If I uh, send you a Bitcoin and you have five Bitcoins, you can't tell the difference between the Bitcoin that I sent you and your other five Bitcoins. That they, they, it's fungible. It's it's tradable. It's they're identical. A Bitcoin is a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin. If you take away that feature. That's actually a feature. If I have my unique Bitcoin, that is the Christian Jenko Bitcoin, that is, you know, I've, I've attached some sort of metadata to it and said like, ah, this is the Bitcoin I got when I was first mining Bitcoins. And here it is. Now the, the value of it is independent. I can't, I can't trade one for another. I can't trade my first Bitcoin with Chris's first Bitcoin because I don't know, maybe mine is more special than his. And uh, <laughs> I have some attached metadata that's interesting. And so... What people have been using this to do recently is uh, started this industry that I thought was ridiculous at first called crypto art. The idea is like you attach a piece of artwork to your non-fungible token. So, you know, if I'm Grimes, uh, Elon Musk's uh, baby mama, uh, wife, baby mama, I don't know. The, the woman he's got having his child with. Do they yeah. get married? That was an I can't move on his part. I can't keep. I don't keep up with Elon Musk. So. <laughs> yeah. um, I uh, so she made a piece of art and uh, created a non fungible token around it and said, uh, "Here is my JPEG that anyone can download for free. But if you would like bragging rights to say that you own this JPEG, you can purchase this NFT from me. I will transfer you cryptographically this NFT." And now you can say that you own this piece of art. And when I first heard this, I was like, that is ridiculous. <laughs> Who in their right mind would pay for th this imaginary bragging rights to say that they own this thing? Like, that doesn't make any sense. This is just a complete waste of money. But then I started thinking more about it of like, why do I buy things? Like, what, what would give... I would buy a physical piece of art. If I bought like a, a Monet or a Van Gogh or something, that would be something that I would consider would be valuable. Well, why is that? It's it's this piece of art that people can download a, a replication of uh, without uh, 
actually owning a thing. You can, you can download a JPEG of uh, Starry Night and not pay, pay any money for it. Well, okay, maybe there's something of tangible of like it's it's the physical thing. It's like this is the canvas and this is the ink that uh, Van Gogh was actually in, and so there's sort of something non-tangible about that. Well, kind of, but what if the piece of art was always digital? What if, what if there is no physical thing to, to tie it to? Well, in that case, the value of it is sort of in, like, other people also value this thing, so there's value in it there. And there's also some value in, like, I have now intertwined my identity with Starry Night. And now maybe on the Wikipedia page for Starry Night, it says, oh, the owner of Starry Night from 2021 to 2025 was Christian Jenko, an art collector. That's sort of me expressing, here is who I am in the world, and this is what I value. And then I started thinking about, like, what are things that would make sense for me to own that I would spend this ridiculous amount of money in? Uh, and I was thinking, like, the, the first example that came to mind is XKCD Comics. If Randall uh, Monroe started offering NFTs for each of his comics, there are several that I think I could justify spending a lot of money on to, uh, you know, maybe there's just like a little line at the bottom of the page or something that says the current owner of this comic is Christian Janko. That would be really cool. <laughs> And, you know, it wouldn't be a terrible financial decision because it's worth something. Uh, I, I could sell it if I bought it for, I don't know, $5,000. Uh, presumably there's a market for it. There's someone else who would buy it for the same amount or more. And there's this non-tangible benefit of, like, I'm expressing this is the type of person who I am in the world. So I went from thinking they were the stupidest thing in the world to, to trying to think about ways that I would actually use it. Uh, I think selling, like, the, the rights to blog posts would be a, another cool application of this. Uh, so one of the most interesting crypto art things that I've seen in this space is uh, generative art where like it's it's a machine where you can buy a piece of art from and you don't know what the piece of art is going to look like until it's been generated. And I'm not sure how they do this. I think it's some sort of like a hash function of like when you create it, there's a hash value made and then you make some sort of a deterministic algorithm of like the hash is the input and then that generates a, an a individual piece of art. Uh, that's where I would take this. I would figure out NFTs enough to know like, okay, here's how you make an NFT. Here's how I would, I would go from this piece that's going to be random to maybe generate a description of the piece of art. So I don't know, take the hash and turn that into a, a collection of 10 random dictionary words. Uh, and then that's the input to generate your art. And then for each piece, like people can buy them for whatever they want, have a standard price of like you, you buy one and it's a hundred dollars because <laughs> it's it's now an nft it's not it's not just a one dollar piece of art it's like you own this thing uh and there's some like slot machine uh skinner's box random reward element to it of like you could get a piece of art that's really good that other people value really highly or you could get one that's kind of wonky that uh isn't very good and uh you know maybe it's it's worth less than a hundred dollars uh that's what i would do I would start selling them. I would offer NFTs. It's also like very trendy right now. So if you posted this on Hacker News, it right. could be fun and you could do a cool write-up on it. Uh, and then the, the fact that each one costs a dollar doesn't matter because sell them for an outrageous amount more than the dollar. The the value of it is going to be in that it's an NFT. Yeah. So I have several thoughts about that. Uh, the first is I, I had probably the same uh, iteration of uh, my thoughts about NFTs, which were, what is this? This is stupid. And then... Um, uh, actually, that's kind of interesting. Uh, and then maybe it's back down to a little bit. It's a mix of stupid and interesting for me right now. Um, but <laughs> I, that's fair. Yeah, I think the thing the thing that makes NFTs actually valuable um, are so like you said, you would pay for XKCD comics. Well, Randall Monroe was famous before 
NFT stuff. There are a lot of people now trying to make NFTs like before they're famous mm-hmm. and those either don't do well or like, why would you buy from someone who, you know, like that doesn't make any sense. So I think, yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense um, for at least random JPEGs, we'll say for or whatever JPEG, right. You have uh, if you're already famous, mm-hmm. the part that you said that was interesting was you buy the art like before it even exists. So mm-hmm. that's interesting. Um, and it's also interesting. So have you seen a uh, robo hash? Do you know what that is? No, what is it? It's uh, robohash. Is it org? Robohash.org. Um, so this is it's a procedural way to do it. It's not generative necessarily, but it's uh, you can type in whatever you want, and that converts it to an MD5 hash, and that and then that turns it into a robot. Whoa! And, yeah, yeah. Oh, and they're completely so, different. If I just change one thing, that's really interesting. Yep, exactly. Um, so. By learning about all this theory stuff, I have learned more about what actually makes this, uh, you know, AI stuff tick. And I can now, I haven't done it yet, but I've, I've seen the way that I could do something like create something like RoboHash, mm. where the robots will always look sort of the same, but be different. And then mm. you can type in something like, uh, you know, I want a robot with purple ears and, and red teeth or whatever. Mm. And it will generate what it thinks you think, or what it thinks you mean by that. Mm. Um so that's kind of where I'm going with some of this generative stuff is applying these uh, different things to it. But anyway, that is kind of interesting. So if you buy an NFT before you even know what it looks like and it mm-hmm. generates something, you know, it's going to look like, in this case, a robot, right? Mm. Uh, and all the robots are going to be different. And then some are, you know, unique in some way. So, so that's that to me is an interesting project better than mm. just, you know, putting up a random, you know, piece of art and trying to sell a JPEG for a thousand dollars or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, if there's a way that the that the purchaser of the art can be interacting with it and either getting it randomly generated or where my mind went seeing this is uh, seeing RoboHash is like, what if when someone buys an NFT from you, like maybe they pay up front and then they get 10 tries of different mm. sentences that they can type in so they can go through some of the iterative process of like, right. uh, let me add a, a Monet style to this or let me see what happens if i ask it to put a unicorn in the scene or something so there's it's it's sort of a collaborative process now of making the art and there's there's creativity on the part of the purchaser uh and still sort of this this uh chance it's it's a process that no individual person is in control of it's like partially you and partially the algorithm and partially the the viewer typing in the thing um and then you figure out how to limit that to that that when i buy an nft like i only get 10 tries to make an interesting one or something uh you said also the problem of people selling nfts are people who are already famous like Mm. grimes or something else what if what if you partner with an artist on this like a like a mid-range artist who's who like has a following and knows more about the art and uh maybe can can give you some feedback on uh, or, or you you collaborate with them in some way of uh instead of having all your art in the style of monet maybe you have it in the style of whoever this artist is if they have a, an interesting process and then they can bring in their audience of people who like enjoy art uh and you can bring your audience of people who are more technically savvy and know what an nft is and you can both get more from this than you would have individually yeah so one of the some of the more interesting generative pieces i've seen which are not related nfts at all but um it's people who use the ai generated art and then 
post-process it. So you might generate like 10 different pieces and take sort of mm. elements from each piece and sort of combine it into these really nice looking things. So it's like mm. combining this generative part with this sort of, you know, manual Photoshopping part to mm. make these digital things, that, which are, you know, would fit in any, you know, gallery or whatever. Um, so that's part of kind of what I'm trying to do with this, this web app is allow people who don't have those skills to do some of that, like combining and, you know, choosing different aspects to, you know, enhance or, or not. So yeah, my hope for some of the stuff I'm doing is to just make it, make it, make it so that, you know, people like me who don't have the art skills to make some of these crazy pieces, um, mm -hmm. to, to do it anyway, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that, that's where I find, that's where I find the AI stuff's really interesting when you can like, not just say, you know, generate me a piece of art, but like work with the AI to generate something, um, mm -hmm. so that you can apply, like you can just use the AI as a tool for human creativity. That's super interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Um, well, that's fun. Maybe, maybe for each NFT you sell, you have the artists go through like a sort of human post-processing of that piece, and then that's that's what the actual NFT is. Hmm. There's a lot of ways you can go with this. I the, the core thing yeah. I'm excited about is like the ability to programmatically generate art like this. Uh, just screams NFT to me. I think I think that's the yeah. place to to take advantage of this. Um, is it uh, deterministic with with the same prompt? You always get the same result. So so there you get to um, do noise seeds. So mm -hmm. you can. So one of the things that my thing does is it allows you to generate say ten things with the same prompt but different noise seeds, and mm -hmm. they will be sometimes slightly different and sometimes very different mm -hmm. um, based on like the the seeds you give it. Uh, um, because there is some randomness involved, but when you set the seed, the randomness is the same for that seed. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, think the thing that would make the most sense to me is like, I want to be able to go to your website and pay you a hundred dollars for, I don't know, 10 or 20 tries of, I want to type in my own prompts and sort of know what I'm going to get out of it. Like, I'm, I want to see what your style of thing is, and I want to know uh, that at the end of that, like, I'm going to receive an NFT, and uh, you'll have to do some education of your customer, probably, of, like, here's how you actually receive the NFT, and uh, you'll need to set up a, a MetaMask account and, and all that. So I want, to, I want to send you some Ethereum, and then you say, okay, you have 10 tries to uh, type in whatever prompt you want that will generate a unique piece of art that has never existed before. And then I want to type in a prompt and say, uh, unicorn going through space. And then I want to see like five iterations of that. So that that's try number one. And I want to see like, okay, we made a bunch of different seeds for you. Uh, pick your favorite one of these. And I say, I like this one the best. And they say, great. You have four more tries if you want to. And I say, ooh, uh, unicorn going through space in the style of Monet. And then you show me five more. And I say, ooh, I like that one. And then at the end of that process, I have five of my top picks. And you say, all right, we're about to mint your NFT. It's going to be one of these five. You can only get one. And there's no way that you could possibly get any of these ever again. Because in the process of doing this, like there was this randomness and uh, your NFT is being minted and it's this unique thing and have like this element of scarcity that like no one could possibly ever own this again. This image is like you, you can have the JPEG, but through the process of minting the NFT, it can only be one of these things. And there's no way that you could possibly get another NFT that was this image. And I say, cool, uh, man, I really love this one, but uh, you know, this one's a little bit better and 
uh it's kind of sad that like this piece of art is going to be lost forever but it's not it's like the, you just copy the jpeg <laughs> but it's not going to be it's <laughs> never going to be an nft you, you can't possibly right. make it an nft right. uh and then i say yes i want this one and you say great uh we're minting your nft now and i think the process of doing that is energy intensive and uh it takes some time but then that nft for yeah. that image that i have made uh drops into my metamask account and now i have an nft and now i can resell that and say like look at this amazing nft that i made uh it it was it was actually difficult for me to do this because you know it's, it's this random process and also i had to enter my own prompts yeah i like that idea that it becomes their nft it's not me as an artist selling them an nft it's i'm designing a tool that like allows other people to create nfts and it happens to cost you know 0.1 ethereum or whatever yeah um, or 0.1 ether i think that's right yeah uh oh is that yeah. different? so i like is that ether the, ether's the i think ether is the currency the in a something like that okay I, I, I should, could I could be wrong. I should get that straight. <laughs> I didn't know there was a difference. Um, yeah. So the other thing. So 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 yes, I like that. I I, I like that idea generally. Uh, the other thing which I've been thinking about because I'm now working for a games company, um, for the next two weeks anyway, is I could make the whole thing a game. Um, it would be really cool if you could play with like four friends and you go through some game and then at the end you have like a piece of generative art which represents what you did in the game. Interesting. And that's about as far as I've thought through that process, but it'd be really, I think a really neat thing because then you have like, you know, you have a JPEG you can download that represents, you know, what your four friends did for an hour on a Saturday or something. Yeah. 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 Um, so I'm reminded yeah, of Jackbox. Yeah. Have you played TKO on Jackbox? It's, I have not, but I've seen it. Yep. That's the, so uh, for listeners who don't know TKO, Jackbox is this collaborative party game. You put it up on your TV and then everyone, even if they're in a different state, uh, goes on their phone and is connected and they have, games like uh you know they'll they'll ask everyone individual questions and you come up with funny answers and end them on your phone and uh every question has two people answer them and then that question pops up on the screen and you say which one is funnier and then you give people points and uh, it's it's a great covid activity uh it's it's fun to do remotely there's another game they have called tko where you get uh you, you generate uh slogans that you think would be funny on a t-shirt and then you draw a bunch of funny drawings that you think would be funny on a t-shirt. That, that's round number one. You just make a bunch of drawings, you make a bunch of prompts. Round number two is you you get everyone else's, well, you, you get a subset of other people's drawings and a subset of other people's prompts, and you try to match them into the funniest combination. And now you have a bunch of different shirts. And then in round three, uh, you see all the shirts that everyone's made, and then they battle and you, you get the best one. And I have in playing this with my friends, come up with some hilarious shirts. I've gotten two of them printed. They're ridiculous. Uh, that's that's the sort of thing that I'm thinking of, though. Of like, maybe you have a, a Jackbox-style game where I am... It would have to cost something, which is interesting. This, this would be like a premiere yeah. sort of... Uh, like, we're going to make a piece of art together. Uh, but, like, maybe maybe I'm entering prompts for your ai to generate a piece of art and then it, it goes head to head and I, I find the best one and then at the end of that like we can we can order a physical copy of it or or we can order an nft of it uh i was gonna say you each pay a dollar and then you have a thing that mints for nfts right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and you can do that with the nfts you can have like shares of the thing you can mm -hmm. you can jointly own a piece yeah. yep hmm that's interesting because then yeah. it provides some... My problem with NFTs is like it's just a... 
either the bubble's going to crazy burst oh, or it's just, or it's going to be like famous people. Oh. Justin, I'm recording a podcast. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm sorry. What were you saying? No problem. Now, the, my problem with NFTs is like either the bubble's going to like really burst uh, or mm. it's just like, in my mind, rich people charging a lot of money for JPEGs, right? Mm. Um, mm. But it'd be really interesting if you made an NFT after you played a game for an hour with your friends because then it like yeah. means, it actually means something. Like it means you spent an hour playing a game yes so that's very interesting to me you worked for it mm. you have emotional attachment to it i, I yeah, would exactly. sort of be resistant to selling it because well, I, I made it it's mine right i, I want to keep it yeah right interesting that's lots lots to think about all right that's cool i think you would have that same sort of ownership with the first business model we talked about of like yeah if i if i went through and said the prompts and i felt like i felt like i was making the art uh i think i would feel the same sort of emotional attachment to it oh there's a there's a thing that happens like this it has a funny name it's like the ikea uh effect the IKEA or effect. where yep is that what it's called where if, the if you make effect, the piece yeah. of furniture you feel more of an emotional attachment to it that if i just buy a piece of pre-assembled furniture i'm, I'm much more likely to give it away but like oh i screwed in those screws <laughs> and i didn't do it very well and so the table's kind of wonky and uh shifts all over i i have a stronger emotional attachment to that table than i would uh apart from like the, the physical attributes of the table uh i feel like i would sort of get that if i was making my own piece of nft art yeah exactly and the strongest version of this is your art that your kids bring home from school <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. your five-year-old cannot draw as well as monet can but when yes. she draws a picture you put it up on your wall <laughs> and uh <laughs> and, and you're proud of that picture yes exactly that's that's what um, i'm gonna grab if there's a house fire yeah that's right. And there's no rational, real explanation for it, except that, you know, you, it's a lot of hours to train that kid to draw like like that. Yeah. And uh, it's, you know, really emotional when she does. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Same. Lots same of uh, lots of training hours spent on <laughs> making that neural net that can generate that terrible piece of macaroni art. Yeah. I suppose uh, so. That's so funny. Uh, I'd like to talk about some of my stuff. I, I yes, some absolutely. Cool things happen uh, since we last talked. I set a goal for myself to work on Clips Up Marketing and File Inbox for more than 199 minutes. And uh, working on File Inbox, uh, zero. I did not work <laughs> on that at all. Uh, but working on Clips Up Marketing, I worked for a total of 317 minutes. Good job, Christian. That is more right. than 199. Uh, and. I pushed it forward. I did it. I, I crossed the finish line of this thing that I've just been, oh my God. Let's, I don't know when I first started talking about this. I think it was <laughs> dozens of episodes ago of like, oh, or just around the corner. I'm going to finish this and, and get it working. Uh, I'm finally done. I have a machine now that I take a long form uh, piece of video and put it in. And then I can very easily make clips. Those clips get edited into uh, social media optimized versions with the title on top and the transcript on the bottom. That part was really hard to do. That was like mm. a lot of learning FFmpeg and cloud stuff. And oh, I'm so happy with all of that. Uh, and then I can automatically queue those up. So it goes in a social media queue. And then I have a schedule of how often I would like to post. And then uh, those clips get automatically posted right now just to Twitter. That's, that's the only integration that works uh, on a schedule. And I did like a week of those. And we have a week of clips now that are social media optimized and published to the Twitter account. I'm so proud of myself. I did such a good job. Uh, and so several several good things came with that. The first is got a lot more engagement on the Twitter account. Um, some of the clips that I posted have uh, like over 
several hundred uh, views on the on the video, which feels really good. Those are several hundred views of people watching those that wouldn't have seen it otherwise. Our Twitter account doesn't have a ton of followers, so the ones that got the most engagement were ones that like you or I retweeted, because uh, we have like a few thousand followers. I think the the follower of just the podcast is uh, like a, a couple hundred people. Um, so feeling good about that, especially because like it's not going to require very much maintenance. It's not going to require that much ongoing effort to keep churning out clips. Uh, so this is just going to keep going in the background. And then I don't want to pollute my own personal Twitter feed with a bunch of these clips. But uh, if there's one that is particularly interesting or one that I that I want to retweet, I can. And I just have this wellspring of media uh, about myself. Um, I think the next integration I want to do is YouTube. Uh, so make like a separate YouTube clips account and then just passively have like, you know, I, I think that'll be good for uh, like search optimization because if someone's searching for like, uh, NFTs and they want to know about NFTs, I would love for them to be able to on YouTube uh, see the clip from this episode of like, here's Christian and Chris talking about NFTs. Um, so that that feels really good. So that, that was one of the first things that came of it is like, I'm now experiencing the benefit of the whole reason that this uh, machine was designed to, to do. Uh, it's working and it feels really good. Second thing is I sent out an email update to everyone on the email list. Uh, there are 34 people on my email list of uh, people who would like to know updates about Clipstop Marketing. Uh, I had 16 people read that email. I had four people watch the update video. Uh, I had several responses of people being like, cool, uh, I want this, this is great. Uh, and I had one schedule a call with me that said in the uh, survey, I, I talked with him later today, actually. He said, I've paid an agency around $15,000 to produce these for me in the past. So I'd love to see more about Whoa. the platform. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's cool. Uh, I think you need to ask him what he got for $15,000. That's I um, think I, I mean, do. I'd love yeah, to say I'll give like, you the same thing for half of that. <laughs> that's right. Um, that's not necessarily high. Uh, yeah. But it may be that they like did a lot more like, you know, like, not just polished it, but also like gave him like strategic tips or something like that. Um, yeah, or maybe, maybe it was for like, like a thousand clips, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, but it'd be I'm very really curious to, see. to talk to him. Yeah. Maybe also like yeah. they came up with branding or something or figured out what right. the format of it, did. but like that works already done. If he's still happy with how the clips yeah. looked, I, I can just copy that and be rendering them. Uh, so yeah, that feels really good. And it, it seems like I'm focused on the right layer of what my input is of if I'm just optimizing for like, I need to put at least this much time into this work uh, per week. I'd, I'd like to be doing that. Uh, small aside here. I especially love focusing on my input in terms of time. Uh, and I, I really want to double down on doing that with uh, file inbox this week. I, I want to make sure that I get over 200 minutes of time on, spent on file inboxes next week. Because in chewing more on this, Tesla renting out thing on Turo oh, yeah. and thinking about like the amount of work that I would need to do to be able to get uh, like, you know, to, to be able to have the car for free and then to be able to maybe be making money on top of that. It's going to be so much more work than if I just thought of it in terms of like, let me increase business revenue by $800 a month. Okay, done. <laughs> I don't need to do anything differently. All my machines are still in place. I don't need to be driving to the airport. I don't need to be worrying about someone crashing my car. Uh, so I think I've thought myself in a full circle of like, yes, I would like a Tesla because it's very cool. Uh, and also, it would be better for me to just double down and focus on like the the business revenue that I'm already making 
uh, instead of starting something new. Like I have not hit the ceiling of this by a long shot. Uh, and even even thinking of it in terms of like, should I be spending time or effort on file inbox or, or clips to marketing or something new? Like, my gosh, if I was managing myself, it would make so much more sense to, to just bump up file inbox a little bit more. There's a dozen projects I can think of that I think would absolutely make sense. Uh, that it, it would be a very safe bet that if I spent 200 minutes, I would have like a reasonable chance of increasing revenue by at least that amount over uh, like, I don't know, the next month or two. Uh, and I still, I feel like I need to talk to like a sports psychologist of why I feel like I have a mental block on this. Uh, but so we'll, we'll start out with this week. It's just like, I'm just going to spend 200 minutes uh, working on it, pushing it forward in any capacity. It could be just planning. It could be, you know, as long as I sit down at my computer for 200 minutes this week, with the intention of I'm working on file inbox, uh, I could do nothing, and and that part of it would be a success. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's clip stuff marketing and file inbox and uh, a Turo and Tesla update. Uh, any any thoughts on that? Any uh, critiques to my strategy? Do you do you have yeah, any no. insights into so, why I'm still resistant to working on file <laughs> inbox? Uh, it's the same reason I don't want to. You know, like I could make a whole ton of money if I focus on the right consulting and I just don't want to, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's probably the same like thing. Like um, there, you're at a level of success with file inbox where, yes, you could do a lot more and now you want the novelty of doing something different. And so that's part of it, I'm sure. Um, it's also the same thing we talked about before, which is like I have looked before or at least when we had two incomes and no kids about like investing in some kind of rental property. Um, and I just determined like, especially when we went back down to one income and no kids or and, and and had a kid that it's like a lot of effort for something where the obvious gains are in software like mm. c almost com compared to almost anything like just if you can improve software or um you know in, in my case it was like learning more so that i could make more money later right mm -hmm. consulting um that almost going to outstrip any gains that you could ever get with you know real estate or or renting out your tesla right yeah. so yeah intellectually it like just makes a ton of sense for you to dive fully into file inbox um i just think there's a balance there so like spending zero minutes on file inbox is probably too low yeah. uh in spending all your time is probably too high given that yeah. you want to trade some you know value for novelty or interestingness uh so yeah i think having a goal of spending at least some time so 200 minutes in this case on file inbox is, is a good goal because it gets you some of the way there and but still lets you do some of the interesting things um yeah so those are my thoughts cool that may be part of what my resistance has been because like i can rationally justify spending all of my time doing nothing but this and I may just be oscillating too wildly of like when I do that, I I feel like I'm resenting more of my work. Mm. And so then I'll, it, it's like a manic depressive cycle. Like I'll, I'll spend a whole bunch of time in it and make a lot of meaningful progress on violin box, but then hate the work that I was doing. And so then I'm like, ah, I never want to work on it again. And I'm, I'm going to spend no time on it. Um, so if I'm, if I'm more charitable with myself and it's more of a negotiation of like, okay, I know you don't want to spend all of your time doing this because there's other more interesting things to be doing. Uh, but let's have some sort of a compromise of like some number of minutes per week. That does make sense. That's that is meaningfully pushing it forward. And it's not too much of a sacrifice where you don't have time to, to work on anything else. Uh, you, you still have ample time to work on the stuff that you want to. Um, 
that feels like it'd be a good compromise. And then like, man, the, my takeaway from, from researching more things in finance and learning more about real estate and learning more about the car rental business and figuring out uh, other creative ways that people are making money. Like software is so good. I had no idea. I, I just like stumbled into this as, as the first type of business that I'm in. But like there's, there doesn't need to be any employees. And if they are, they can be remote or they can be contractors. Uh, your profit margins are insane because the, the value yeah. that you're producing is, can be, you know, you can replace people. You can replace departments. The amount of value you can produce is just infinite, and it runs on machines. It's it's optimized from the ground up to be to be completely automated at every level of like, and and like the people working in the space just have this this pathological intensity to to keep automating it at every level of like, it's not just that the software runs by itself. It's that the you can buy the machines and rent them. Uh, and then and then those machines can run by themselves. And then it gets even more abstract because you can hire Google to have all your infrastructure on cloud computing. So they're, they're automating all of the scaling even. And, and it just keeps going up from there that if, if you can come up with a, a valuable pattern that's providing people value, uh, it, the, the cost of it is outrageously close to zero and will only continue decreasing. Uh, and there's still so much low-hanging fruit of like, anytime a human is touching a spreadsheet or anytime a human is sending an email, like there, there will still be opportunities to be making money in software. Uh, and it, I, I think it's, I, I would not have realized that if I hadn't been exploring more of this alternate ideas of, of how you uh, can be making money and what other types of businesses are. So I'm happy I've done it. And uh, I've thought myself in a circle once again, of like, oh yes, software is a, a very good place to be spending uh, time and attention. So I'm, I'm glad to be back. Yeah. Yeah. And not just that. Well, so yeah, first of all, software can have what 90% margins, 95%, yeah. you know, yeah. profit margins. Grocery stores have like 2% or something. So like, really? that's the, yeah. <laughs> so that's like the, the variables there. Um, but the other part is like the variable costs uh, very well are, are, are hugely different too. So software, mm. if you add another person, it's like almost zero. If you add another mm. thousand people, maybe you have to add another server or something. Right. But mm. it steps up linearly or so with mm -hmm. uh, people like, okay, once you get, you know, to Netflix size, then you have to hire whole departments just to manage like the onboarding or whatever. But anyway, yeah. with stuff like uh, your car rental business or house renting businesses, you get one bad tenant or one bad person who crashes your car, right? And that, and then you have a hundred percent cost or you know, insurance, yeah. which kicks in. Um, like, uh, so yeah, so software is just better on almost every aspect <laughs> for yeah. business. Yeah. Netflix is an interesting example to bring up too because they're a global company. You, they, mm. you know, if if you're in Bangladesh, you can use Netflix. So, like, yes, they hired a department of people, but comparing that to if Blockbuster had to hire people in Bangladesh right. or, you know, McDonald's, it's, it's insane. <laughs> like they, they, you can have a global product. You can have a business that can literally serve every single person in the world, uh, for a, a micro fraction of what that would have cost in a, in a more traditional type of business. Uh, you don't need any real estate. You don't need janitors. You don't need to figure out plumbing issues. And it's just like, here's the product. <laughs> If you have connection to the internet, uh, you can use it and you can get value from it. Uh, but it's just such an exciting time to be alive. Yeah, cool. 
Um, so you mentioned uh, the, the 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 need for me to trade some value for novelty or interestingness. Uh, here is a novel, interesting project that uh, is not going to make any money uh, that <laughs> I, I uh, have been thinking a lot about. And I think I think I can sort of justify in terms of like learning more about AI and machine learning stuff. Uh, I was off this last week. I was in New York for a family reunion. And one of the things they did was show a slideshow that came from all of these uh, really old film that got digitally scanned in. And it was so much fun. There were probably 100 people there from all my extended family, my dad's cousins and uncles and all these different branches of the family, uh, showing pictures that no one had seen in decades. Um, and a picture would come up and everyone would be like chatting about, oh my gosh, look at this. It's this this younger person. My dad looks so funny. <laughs> he's this, he's this little <laughs> string bean and he's got these huge glasses. And it's, uh, oh, it was, it was so fun to see him. Uh, and the uh, person who scanned them in, my dad's, uh, my my grandpa's cousin, uh, Joe, uh, had scanned them all in. He's an older person and uh, is not super tech savvy. So I, I was very impressed that like he was able to, to scan them in digitally, uh, was passing around this thumb drive uh, that had all the photos on them. And I was thinking like, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, th this should be on Facebook. This should be on Google Photos. And everything I thought of didn't quite fit because like Facebook seems very tuned for sharing stuff that's going to be more ephemeral of like here's this cheesecake i ate today and how great it is and it's sort of assuming that you took the photo on your smartphone and are uploading it right there so it's going to have location data and that the date and time metadata that's on it is is going to make sense but the use case for like genealogy type records i kind of want like a wikipedia that uh has media of the people that like if i wanted to tell a story about my great aunt who's been dead for 10 years uh, I, I could sort of leave it on there. It's uh, like a sort of, I don't know, living obituary that also has a bunch of photos of her. And then I can I can show my kids and my grandkids like, look, this is your family lineage. Uh, here's this crazy story about your great, 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 great grandfather who I personally knew uh, who like I have this. Did I, was that the right number of greats? It was my great-grandfather. <laughs> I don't know if that would be to my grandkids. Uh, sure. It may have been one extra one. Uh, and, you know, here's a video of them, and here's a collection of videos of them, and here's a here's a bunch of photos of them that actually span a, a meaningful amount of time. Here's, like, pictures of them when they were young and old, and here's, like, a timeline of their life and the interesting events that happened in there. And so that's, you know, the, <laughs> uh, we, we talked before on the show about how I get all caught up in... Uh, uh, making businesses like just for myself i'll make a, <laughs> right. a piece of software that only i use uh, and call it b to me i think this would be b to wait for it family uh, ah! uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh so i think i'm gonna make a social network like just for my family and i'll design it in a way that it, it could be scaled up to, to other families but um it's going to involve like it it'll be sort of a clone of facebook and wikipedia and google photos um I want to use it to be able to go on it and like say who they are and where they are in the family tree and then upload all of the media that they've had in shoeboxes. Uh, and then this is the AI part. I want to do what Google photos is doing right now of uh, recognizing faces and then recognizing who those people are. And this is a specific question that I have for you on this. Actually, uh, I know how to do the recognizing faces part. That was one of the examples in the, in the book that you recommended. How would you go about, identifying who that person is are there neural nets where you can say like here's a bunch of pictures of faces 
cluster them together into who is probably the same person? Uh, how would I learn more about how to do that? Yeah. So there's a lot to talk about there. Uh, so I'll talk about the AI part first because that's the last thing you said. Um, okay. Yes, there are absolutely neural nets that can do that. Um, there's a lot of different ways you could solve for that. Um, actually, um, I think it was fast at AI. There, there was a whole uh, class on YouTube. I think it's I'm trying to find it, but I'll, I'll find it later. Um, where it's like, how would you recognize someone in a, in a photo? So mm-hmm. there's lots of different ways to do it. Uh, one is like, uh, is this person this person? And so say you have, you know, 100 people in your family or whatever, and you could go through all the photos and say, is it any of these 100 people? And then just mm-hmm. tag them, whatever. Um, so yeah, that's absolutely a thing that AI can do. There's several different ways to do it. Um, the the other part is about this as a business. I think you're right that this is B to family um, <laughs> and it would be great for your family. The, the problem is if you ever wanted to make money with this, I is a, I see this as a very up, uphill battle um, or yep. a different type of business than we've ever talked about, which is mm-hmm. I could, when you start talking about it, when you first started talking about this as like a social network or a competitor to Google Drive or Facebook, I was like, oh, this is dead in the water. Mm-hmm. When you start talking about it with the, like the, the historical twist, so like the genealogy twist, mm-hmm. I could totally see that as a whole separate company, which is like a sort of social network where some of the people are dead right like 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 dead for hundreds of years um and that could be very interesting um however so the big the big however is that you would probably need a lot of money to make this work so you'd need to raise Mm -hmm. millions and millions of dollars to really make this work for any wide stretch of people because Mm -hmm. people so i have gone on some of these genealogy sites before and i go back like two generations or whatever they let you and that like they make you pay for the third generation or something like that. And I go, eh, whatever. <laughs> and then I go about my, my the rest of my life. And yeah. so it's interesting up to the point where I have to pay. And then it's not interesting to me anymore. Yeah. So the way that you could monetize it is with ads or something else. Right. Um, so if you wanted to make this really wide, widespread, then it would be like a, I see this definitely as like a raise venture money and do something like ads type yeah. of thing. Um, yeah. So hopefully some of that hit with what you were trying to do. Maybe some of the ads I could sell would be for like longevity drugs while you're browsing through. Like, oh right. my gosh, I'm gonna get old one day. <laughs> right. get, look at my great grandfather. Uh, see an ad for, I don't know, uh, metformin or uh, NMN to <laughs> increase the length of your telomeres. Uh, yeah, this uh, it, it would be a difficult business to get off the ground because I think the 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 extent to which people are going to use this is like. Oh, neat! <laughs> and it's not—it's right. not solving a problem. I don't like need to get a picture of my grandfather right now, and I—I I need to know exactly when his wedding day was. Uh, if anything, like it's—it's it's sort of a liability to have a database of a collection of everyone's mother's maiden name. Uh, so I'm—I'm I'm having to think a lot about security and who I'm going to let into this. And uh, I think I'm going to do sort of a model where to to see any of the data that. A, a particular person is uploaded you have to be friends with them uh so i'll be able to see on this profile of a person like okay here's here's limited public information about your great great aunt uh but if you want to see 92 pictures of her and you want to see this other metadata about her you need to friend this particular person who's your cousin who is a direct descendant of her uh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um i'm not thinking it's I'm not seeing a straightforward way to make money from this, uh, but I do see yeah. great value in it for me personally of 
I would, I'm very curious about my family history and I would love to have a collection of all these things because my gosh, a lot of these people who have this information now are going to start dying and uh, have been dying. And my, what a tragedy of like a, a refrain that I keep coming back to. And one of my main motivations for making this podcast is this idea that the difference between writers and people who don't write is that writers write. It's not that they have anything more interesting to say necessarily or that they have any more valuable information. It's just like they wrote their stuff down. And how much stuff is lost when a person dies that they just didn't write down of like, yeah. what food did my great-great-grandmother make that she had the recipe for? Like, what, what knowledge and wisdom did she have about how to cook stuff for like stories that she had or understandings that she had about the, the country that she came from? that are just completely inaccessible to me now that I, I cannot get back. They're completely lost. Uh, as far as I know, she did not write anything down that survived uh, now that's easily accessible. But if I had a way to collect those things, if I had a place where maybe if I tickle this network, uh, <laughs> that sounds gross, of like <laughs> all of the people who I know in my extended family were like, hey, anything that you have, that shoebox full of photos, like here is a place for you to, to dump it in now. And I have made a system to, to collect it and organize it. Um, I see I see huge personal value out of being able to get back some of that lost information and, and be able to tell more of those stories. And uh, man, it, it would just be so cool if I you know, had a database of, I could go up my entire family tree and see like, okay, you know, these are the... 50 people who I came from and this is what they looked like and here's some information about who they were and you know that went into this generation and this generation and that that led to me and uh being able to to have that information for my kids just that that's feeling very motivating for me right now uh and would solve a lot of problems that I have of you know this huge bookshelf behind me of all these photos from my grandmother like they're just rotting on the shelf right now and I would love to be able to have a place to put them that they could actually be useful yeah. Uh, so like for, for my cousin whose uh, mother died several years ago, like in in this shelf behind me are pictures of her growing up that I think they've never seen. Uh, how cool would it be if they could just go to her on the family tree and then see all of the pictures of her uh, growing up and be able to see that maybe on a timeline and uh, compare that to their own lives and realize like, oh my gosh, I'm older than my mom was when she had me. And like, here's a picture of her when she was that age that, that uh, would just be really cool. So that's it thing i want to do just for fun yeah yeah it's it's such an interesting sort of view into human psychology because there's there's like i'm sure there are distant cousins who have pictures of my great 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 grandfather or whatever or like so uh so my last name is Achard. it comes from france we know generally in france where it came from there's like two there's like a city and a lake right and i want to know more about that but i don't want to spend the 20 bucks on ancestry.com or whatever it takes <laughs> to like learn about it. so like I'm sure my life would be more interesting if I knew about that aspect of it. Uh, but it's just like without doing it for free, I, I, it's, it's, it's tough. So it's like something that will make people's lives better if you could do it, but they won't pay for it. It's a hard problem to solve. Yeah. You know, it's funny you bring that up because at no point in thinking about this problem, did I ever even consider maybe ancestry.com already does this. (laughs) Maybe if I just (laughs) paid the $20 to them, I I don't know if they store storage. Yeah, I don't know if they store lots and lots of pictures. They have like genealogy charts, and they have like you know where people came from, and and like uh, all the death and marriage certificates and stuff like that. I don't yeah. think they allow pictures. I could be totally wrong. And for twenty bucks, maybe you can upload all the pictures you want. I'm yeah. not sure. I'm not sure. I, this might I already exist. Check them out. 
before yeah, investing yeah. dozens of hours into building this <laughs> Yeah. I should uh, I should pay that twenty dollars to ancestry.com and, and just see like what the data they have is and uh, what that thing is. I, I would be surprised if you could upload media because I, in my mind they're like a web 1.0 company that right. uh, has existed for as long as I've been on the internet. So uh, and you know unlimited data storage is a relatively new thing. Um, yeah. I'd be surprised yeah. if they adjusted their business model to to support that. The other play for this, which is also a venture-backed business, but um, is something more like Shutterfly. So, like, there are people mm-hmm. who spend hours and hours and hours generating these books. Like, my family has a binder, which is, like, someone spent a lot of time putting together all the death and marriage certificates and pictures and stuff and put it in a big binder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but on Shutterfly, you could do something like put that together and then print one for, you know, every person in the family for 40 bucks mm-hmm. a piece or something. Um, so, that, that would be the other play is, like, you upload all this stuff and then print a a photo book with all the family tree information and then distribute mm. it at a family reunion or something. Um, the problem is that's, that's still a venture back business play. So. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder if there's a specific product that that might make sense for, like for weddings, I can make you a thing that takes up a table. That's like a picture of all of your relatives on their wedding day. And maybe I make a cool little chart for you to show you some interesting thing comparing your wedding to their wedding of like ah your your great grandparents were this old when they got married and you're this old or something uh interesting okay yeah i'll think about that i don't love the idea of getting prints because i feel like that's moving backwards but maybe for the people who are interested in this sort of thing in genealogy like maybe they want that there was a picture of my dad that came up in the slideshow that was just it, it was like a really artistic photo that like showed him in this cool stance that like I think perfectly captured like who he was as a child that uh that's that's one I would love to get printed. Um but even then I don't I don't know if I wanted to get printed or if I just want to pull the trigger on getting one of those digital photo frames and just have that as one of the photos mm-hmm. in the in the rotation. Um printing is interesting. Yeah, so, something to on that. that I- Something I was looking at, this ties back to the NFT stuff and the generative art piece. Uh, there are now TVs, or there's at least one TV by Samsung, which looks very much like a frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it has a frame on the side and everything. And and the way it displays, you can actually, it's hard to tell that it's a TV um, cool. compared to a piece of artwork. And so, and but but it's a TV. And so you can have it rotate, you know, artwork or whatever. So that's very cool. There you go. You buy the TV like and you just. That's yeah. by Samsung. Yeah. I'm, I might get, do you know how much they are? Uh, the the thirty two inch I think is like a thousand dollars and the fifty something inch is two thousand dollars. It's it's Ooh. expensive for a TV, yeah, yeah. But it looks like a piece of art, which most TVs don't. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I kind of like that. <laughs> if, I, if I'm like throwing a party when I have guests over and be like, oh yes, I have a Monet. <laughs> right. Uh, yep. That's a that's a very accurate Monet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. And then when they leave, I put my kids' uh, drawing back on because that's what I'm more emotionally attached to. Uh, right. Interesting. Good stuff. What a what a fun chat. Uh, I missed last week. This yeah. Is, uh, this is a good good catch up. Uh, Chris, that's all I got. That's all I got too. Then I will see you next week. Goodbye.